Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. A lot of us come to Hollywood thinking, if I can just get one break, make one right connection, sell one script, I'll make it. Like there's an invisible success barrier and once you're past it, it's all cake. In reality, being a working writer in LA is a series of breaks. You're never done breaking in. You can never rest on, I made it. And success doesn't look like you imagine. As screenwriter Nicholas Griffin knows, this isn't life for the faint of heart. There are easier ways to be miserable than being a writer. But the most magical thing is seeing your words come to life on set and on screen. Today, we talk about the ups and downs of screenwriting as a job and what happens when Ridley Scott likes your script. Nick, thank you for being on Hearthside Salons. It's so nice to see you. We go back 2004, I think. Three or four in there? Yeah, I thought I met you sometime around whenever Hal Ackerman's book came out. And I I think I met you at a party for that for the release of that book. No, I met you when you and Ted came to speak to our class about matchstick men oh dear well then i guess you'll be i guess you're <laughs> gonna be here. i hope you've forgotten all those stories because you're just gonna hear them again yes but uh well yeah, okay that's that's that makes sense how are we local, you guys are great that i went that's why i met you because i went up and talked to you afterwards and i was like these guys are cool i want to i want to chat so you're one of us who who made it big you hey. you, you broke out you got a thing done in the world so uh, yep can't deny that. Can't deny that. <laughs> Can't take that away from me. Nope. I always like to talk a little bit about your origin story. So you grew up here, right? You grew up in... I did. I grew up locally. a few miles away. I grew up in in uh, Pasadena. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other, their, the, the more um, august names that have come out of... Well, I guess uh, Jackie Robinson is the probably... Will, will now will forever be the leading light that came out of... Well, Pasadena, but yeah, that's where and, that's and where the little old lady and the little old lady and who, who's and after, nameless yeah, forever. Yeah, and then there's some and then Ted and I are way far down that list, but yes. So, so. did you always want to be a writer? Like, how did that how did yeah, that bug bite pretty, you? Pretty much. I mean, I knew I wanted to do to be in movies. Um, I was I come from sort of a show business family. My my grandmother on my, my mother's side my my grandmother was a silent screen star amazing in the, in the 20s and 30s and then she she married her director who was my grandfather and he did um light comedy musicals astaire and rogers uh laurel and hardy amazing uh, so uh he died before i was born but throughout my childhood um Every once in a while, she would come over and we would pull out this old screen, you know, with one, oh, just, one yeah, yeah. just one of those fold out and you pull yeah. it up and it had this very distinct metallic smell. Yep. Yep. And we some, somehow it managed to get a 16 millimeter print. And we would watch um, her movies or the movies of the man she she married later in life, who was also an actor. And, you know, there they were in their 70s and we're watching them in the 30s. And it was just I just was always a movie guy. So. Yeah, there was, yeah, there, there was, this was not a, I don't think think anybody should try and become a screenwriter unless it's really what, there's no other, there are no other possibilities. Yeah, Yeah. because you're going to bang your head against the wall every day and tear your heart out and people are going to stomp all over it. So why would you do that unless you had to do that? There are lots of, lots of easier ways to be miserable, so. (laughs) I think that's that's what I'm going to call my screenwriting book. There are easier ways to be miserable. Mm-hmm. So I have a sibling and I love and adore my sibling, but I'm not sure. Well, I have two siblings, but um, I'm not sure that we would be the best work partners. So you and your brother are writing partners for, or at least you have on, been on many on, things. On and off. Yeah. Yeah. H- how's that? It's, you know, it goes in and out and it's hard. And I think whenever I, whenever we were asked that, our sort of our answer to uh, to collaboration in general is, don't ex- don't do it because you think it'll make things easier because it probably won't. Only do it if you think that it'll make things better. Oh, that's great. And I think that when we work together, 
it is definitely not easier, but it does turn out better. That's um, so important. And it, 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 it doesn't go any quicker either. But I've had conversations with other screenwriters who work in, who are parts of teams. And I've, sa- I've asked them about, you know, what do you do when you get in an argument? I asked a long while back, a guy named Steve McFeely, who wrote all the Avengers movies with his partner. And he said, no, we never really, we don't really argue about much. I said, well, come on, there's got to be, what, happen- what happens when you get right down to it? And, I, and you say it's got to be red. And he says it's got to be blue. What? What do you? Yeah. What do you do then? And he sort of said, "I don't think that's ever happened." Wow. So it was very, it was very enlightening and very discouraging for me. But yeah, because I my know. partnerships, as we were just discussing before we started, are more in line with. It doesn't make it easier. Yeah. It hopefully does make the product better, but it's yeah. not. It's. And the fact that it's that it's your a sibling means that ultimately. There's there's no argument you're going to have that's going to be completely destructive because that yeah. can't happen. So you you can kind of go to I haven't thought about this too much, but I guess you can kind of go to places where you might have to even with a trusted partner have to be politic in some ways. And mm-hmm. it's just you know there's yeah there's so much there. There's no way to dissolve the relationship. So that's yeah. not that's off the table. That's kind of great. What I was going to ask you as, as two writers coming to the page, what is your exchange of gifts? Like, are you more like structure? What? He's more dialogue. Oh, I was like, going to say like, oh, sometimes he brings me a milkshake or that also uh, does uh, he feed you? You know, I would say he's objectively, he's probably better at most things <laughs> than I am, but more things than I am. I was going to say, actually, he probably is better at, at most things. Uh, I mean, I have a very difficult time with with structure, but I think maybe if you if you had one scene that you had to get exactly right and it needed to just it needed to be the linchpin scene that had to work in two or three ways, you might you might give it to me. Good to know. Um, I think I can deliver a moment. Maybe mm. in a way I can get there quicker than he does, although that's not necessarily true. But I would otherwise I would give him a I would put a lot of the eggs in his basket first. <laughs> That's very kind and humble of you. So then you guys start writing, your youngsters working your way up or writing and going to school. How do you get your first agent? Oh, well, from it's the way I did would be is a way that that is not applicable, I think, to anybody else. We've been writing for a little while together. He'd had some early success with a couple of movies and we had, we were still kind of helping each other out and I'd helped him out on a couple of scripts. And then finally we got a deal to write something which turned out to be Matchstick Men. And oh, so right out of the gate. Kind of right out of the, right out of the gate. I mean, I was 30, whatever I was. So having done that, all of that stuff I then had to do you know, had to join the union, had to get an agent. Yeah. So it, it was, I, I, in retrospect, I guess I feel kind of bad about it because it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of banging, you know, beating on doors. It was just, I've been toiling in obscurity and now something's happened. So. Well, that's, that's kind of where I'm hoping I am. That sounds like a weird sentence, but like, you know, I have this thing that's kind of maybe about to go and like, I still don't have representation and I'm kind of hoping, well, then won't that make that happen for me? You know, like if I'm doing a thing, I got to have an agent and. Yeah. That's all stuff that, I mean, I, I'm always very hesitant to advise anybody or mm. e- even communicate about a lot of that stuff. Cause it all happens differently for everybody. Yeah. And I don't, and it's not, how do you get an agent? I don't know. I, I, yeah. You know, no one knows. Nobody knows. It just sometimes and then, happens. And then you're, then you're always not entirely sure once you have one, what, they do. So it's like, are you, you still with the same agent? No, no. It's okay. like, I've been a long way. I actually, right now I don't, I don't have one. I have a, I have an, a lawyer who's been, does. Uh, That's so. what I sort of have been hearing is the, like, if you can just get a lawyer who, who take care of your stuff and, and, you know, maybe find you jobs now and then it's kind of all you need. Yeah. Yeah. That can, that could be a way too. But then, I've, then I know screenwriters who have agents and managers and I've always, you know, yeah. and, and, and press agents. Yeah. I feel like at least, at least if I were, if I had an agent, I would be protected 
from some of the shenanigans that have been going on the last few years and things that I've dealt with. And I'm like, Oh, you can't do that to a guild writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a goal for me. Right. Yeah. It, it, and I know it's, it's, um, uh, it's really, it's, it's just one more thing that's frustrating about the larger frustration of <laughs> this crazy job. We picked this crazy thing. This business we call show. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me that. So you already you got Matchstick Man. How did that How did that process go? As I think about it now, it actually went kind of smoothly. It didn't feel like it at the time, but we had. Um, uh, I was living in New York at the time. I just moved there, so that's where we wrote it. Hmm. Um, we uh, we kind of wrote it over. I think the course of a the main draft over the course of a summer and a fall. We got a we had a little office on 57th Street that was a, across the hall from another screenwriter named Richard Legravenez. I know that name. Yeah, because he's spectacularly successful, and he wrote Fisher King anyway. So, and he was never there. So we I would just I would just walk into his office stealthily and look around and wow, this is what a real this is where the magic happens. Yeah. So we anyway we just we wrote a number of of drafts, and at some point we got. Uh, Bob Zemeckis interested in directing it. And so we went through a whole process with him where he wanted to change. He kind of really wanted to reinvent the script or parts of it from, from the ground up. And we, you know, thought about it for a quick minute and said, okay, whatever you, whatever you want, Bob. And sure. We, we went Mr. and did Z. that. And then he, he kind of uh, hesitated and decided he was going to go off and do Polar Express instead, but he'd produce it. And uh, then we had just had the great good fortune to to get it in the hands of, of Ridley Scott. And he... No slouch. He pulled the trigger right away. I mean, it was, I think from the time he read it until we were on set, couldn't have been more than two or three months. Wow, that's uh, pretty quick. It control. was really instructive to me of what can happen when you get when a grown-up suddenly yeah. comes in and he's got a window. Yeah, he's, it's like make it a, happen. He's got, a, he's got a window of time. Um, I think he was planning, he had a huge movie that he was in prep on that never happened, but it had been delayed because they were going to be uh. building Spanish galleons or something. So he had this time. So once he said yes, then all of his people, you know, he just has to, yeah, they can, you know, he's got everything just starts to happen. That's amazing. Uh, so, <laughs> that's the dream. I mean, there and, was there was plenty more to it than that, but that's oh, I'm sure. the broad strokes. Yeah. But then when did uh, when did Mr. Cage come on board? Pretty quickly. I can't remember if there were other names that were were being bandied about. Bandied about. He just we had Ridley and and it went out to people and I can't I don't I don't was not really part of that discussion but then you well, got Nick Cage and now now suddenly you've really got now you got a movie, movie. Yeah. now you got a movie kid yeah well it's interesting because you know as I'm sure as you're writing you have in mind like what this character looks like and what he sounds like and you've maybe done this sort of imaginary casting just to help you get the voice and then Nick Cage shows up how close or far or like was it like that's who I always dreamed of or oh gee I really pictured uh, Jason Bateman in this role instead yeah <laughs> Uh, no, I'd never pictured. Uh, I'd never pictured Nick. I hadn't even thought about him. And I'd worked on some things with Ted, where we had sort of in previous projects. We'd talked about, oh, this is this is that character. This is that guy. Sure. And it ended up happening. I mean, it actually ended up being that actor that ended wow. up did it, which was very, very strange. I thought Nick Cage was great. Obviously, I mean, he's he's a fantastic actor, and 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 bold and crazy and there were other actors that I, I I along the way where I thought okay I know how he's gonna play it mm -hmm. and with Nick Cage I thought I don't I have no idea what he'll do and indeed I, on the in the first week there were all kinds of surprises so, <laughs> you know. well between I think Mashtick Men and um Raising Arizona are my two favorite performances of his there's oh. the it's the two that's, where he's not being like, you know, ridiculous. It's like he's actually that's good company. He's, acting. He's. I mean, I think he's. I think he's terrific. Uh, I mean, I do love Con Air, but I need a bottle of wine for it. Yeah, that's or, or something or or something or rolled in paper. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I mean, he's leaving Las Vegas. He's yeah, adaptation, yeah. You know, oh, that's and, true. And Moonstruck. So he's done a lot of, uh, and he's really a guy who's not afraid to 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 go out and you know jump off a cliff. Yeah, uh, that's much. Sometimes, clearer. sometimes, yeah, you you watch him going, but but otherwise, he's you know, it's he he's just so unpredictable. Yeah. Um, Were you ever mistaken for each other on set? Did anyone um, go, Nick? Wrong Nick. No, I have, I have a picture that proves it. When we were, <laughs> when I was in like 22, there, there was a dis distinct resemblance. I got that, it all. I know. That's why. So not so much anymore. What I also think is super cool is that you got to be on set because I hear so many stories of this, you know, the post-sale process is trying to distance the writer from the project as much as possible. So you got to be there. You still got to take part in the process as the filming was happening. Yeah, I I just we showed up the first day and they had a chair for us. I mean, we I we had done we did very little. I I guess if you com compared to what some writers go through, we did we had we had very limited revisions to do. We had a couple of very very long meetings with Ridley before shooting, where we would we just we were in the conference room and we would just go through the script. And he had a wonderful phrase. He would say, "I just want to make sure that all the rivets." Are, in, are tight and in place. And I thought that was a very good image for like what that. you want a script to be is to, when you, cause when it's you go on, when you go on the floor, you want to make sure that you are, you are kind of setting off yeah. into the ocean and you want yeah. to make sure that things are, are tight. So I was there every day for, for shooting. I felt very welcome. There wasn't a lot for me to do. I think it's, a, I would think it would, for any director, it would, it would, if you have a good rapport, it would be a great thing to have the writer on the set. Yeah. Because think. you're, that's a writer on a set is somebody who has really no power. Yeah. Um, and but wants to help, wants to make it, it good because wants those to are. Help and is, and maybe is, knows sort of the, all of the real cellular things about how the story works yes. and can remind you. So I felt like my job was just to be as quiet as I possibly could. And then if something really bothered me to share it, but you learn to kind of spread it around. Uh -huh. You know, if you have a problem, maybe you go to the script supervisor and say, that's going to be a problem later. Yeah. Or you, you know, you, there's certain things you learn. You, you don't talk to the actors. Oh God. Yes. It's not your, cause that's not your, that's not your job. Your, not your bailiwick. Um, and the only time I can only really recall one time where I they called me onto the set because something was not clear. Oh. And as I was walking onto the set, I was looking at the sides and I realized I don't know what they're talking about. I'm not going to have an answer. <laughs> this is really bad. And and by the time I got onto the set, they'd solved the problem. And it was, like, oh, thank God, because I don't know what. <laughs> you're I, like you're welcome. I've been I'm here three months and now you finally need me and I don't know what I wrote. So. But yeah. it was a joy. It was really, it was a joy. And it was, it was fun to watch. That's amazing. It was fun to watch him work. It was fun to see the, the facility with which he just, mm. all of his people do their thing. And that you kind of realize, you know, you're, you're not really shooting a script, you're shooting a movie. And so things change, things get better, things get deformed, things get warped, but something else comes out of it. Mm. Well, for me, the, the most magical thing is seeing your words come to life in the mouths of performers. So I would imagine that yeah. was pretty damn cool. It is. Yeah. No, it was uh, the, the, that first day it was, um, you know, yeah, you just you're going, you just you're flying. It's you just can't believe this is finally happening. And there were <clears throat> there were a couple of there was really only one moment, one, maybe two moments in the movie where I. I was just, I came onto the set and going just, oh my God, this is, I've, I've heard this scene in my head so many times. It's so important. What if they don't ah. get it? And it was just, it was perfect. And that's, and that's really where you, where you say, ah, this is. This is the best job in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I mean, there, there are all kinds of smaller indignities and sure. frustrations, but then every once in a while you get a really nice you know view of the big picture or you or you have, to, you have a little or you just have a little moment of yeah that's that'll 
that'll carry me through another two years of old. <laughs> was uh, there any other crazy stories from him on set you want to tell? No, there no, there were not. He was the most workmanlike guy. That's he awesome. was he was in every scene. So he was number one on the call sheet every single oh, day. Oh god, yeah. And he had all that crazy, you know, facial stuff that he had to do. And, and so he was very he was I Focused. didn't spend very much time with him. I didn't talk to him very much, but he was dead professional right there. That's so good to hear. Going on. I feel like he gets he gets the short end of the stick a lot of times with people just assuming he's crazy. And it's like, it's so good to hear. It's like, no, that's act, well, that's acting. He may, his personal he may, life is know, his personal life, but as an actor. He, he may well be. He may well be crazy. But when he came onto the set, he was absolutely a pro. I love uh, it. Yeah. So it was fun to watch. But everybody was just was pulling in the same direction and they were all very professional. And and I uh yeah, Nick and they were Nick and Ridley, they're just they're they're they were such old pros even by that point. Yeah. yeah. So that is a great experience. And then you yeah. wrap that film and it goes out and it's well received. And then what happened? Like what what did you think was gonna happen off the back of it? And then like what happened in your life and your career from it? My career, I would say it it didn't really become a career, which I think happens to a very, very few writers, it became more a series of jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I might have imagined, oh, I'll have something finished and and in production again within sure. a year or two years or four years or whatever it is. You know, that didn't happen. I got, I did uh, rewrite work on things where you know, maybe my name didn't get, didn't make it onto the credits or I, or I was doing spot work where that was never going to happen. And then I've written specs where, you know, we've gotten like the same kinds of, of stories you have where, you know, we had an actor. I thought, gee, that, how could we not? How could this movie how, not go? How can, this, how can this not happen now with this particular actor? And it didn't. We come up short on the money. Or I've I've spent lots of time working with some absolutely fantastic directors on scripts of mine, and they we just don't. It just doesn't happen. Hmm. Which I think is much more the the, the, norm. the norm than. I mean, apart from a very very few superstars. Yeah. Uh, you're just you you keep rolling, keep doing your work. You know, I made a little move into with Ted when he had a, a television series on FX, which was Terriers. Terriers, which was sensational. Which was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know, I've I've written spec scripts which were features, and then I've uh, worked with directors and revised those. Those, and we can't get that going. So then we turn it into a limited series. Yep. Can't get that going. Done and, all that. Yeah, it's just you know, and you just sort of have to you you kind of say, well, I get up in the morning and I'm a writer and uh, I'm working on this thing until it's done. And then if suddenly all those, all the, you know, the, the doors, you know, whatever the game is, you know, where the, you know, everything's suddenly you yeah, can run all the up. way through yeah. that, um, you know, then that happens. Uh, but the, but the, the alternative is much more frequent. Yeah. Was it disappointing? Oh yeah. I, but I, I think mean, that's, uh, I feel like that's half the nature of it, but also like I remember when I was at UCLA, there was a there was a, a girl in our class who who sold something while we were still in school, and everyone was freaking out about like this this you know hot new writer and she was so young and na 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 and and uh, you know thinking that was that was her big launch and she was gonna be, have this huge and then I remember I never heard anything more about her after that one initial thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hear stories of friends of mine who 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 sell something, and you know that's it's maybe in Variety or something, and that's fantastic. Yeah. And then that's then it kind of goes into the black hole. Well, aside from things that you sell not getting made or things getting put in turnaround, the fact that you've actually then still make money writing is like you you may not be like the guy that's getting the, all the jobs all the time, but the fact that you're getting paid to write on a regular basis yeah. is like, that's half the battle in my mind. Yeah. And then, and that doesn't always happen, but you keep going or you get paid less or um, yeah. I, I, there was a little movie that we got made last year. I don't know when it's going to, what it eventually will see the light of day, but it was a, a, a remake of an old noir movie called DOA. 
oh. um, that a guy was doing for a shoestring budget. So I got, you know, I got a little shoestring of a shoestring uh -huh. and they went out and made the movie. And that's, so there that's what it is. Yeah. Then you don't know. Well, because I think part of it, too, is you think, oh, well, you've now got Ridley Scott's number and you've got Nicolas Cage's number. So you're set, kid, because they say it's all who you know. Yeah. But it's like even that's not a guarantee. Yeah. You know, uh, we were lucky with, I mean, uh, you know, a comedy about a con man with OCD. Yeah. That's, that, we were we were lucky with Ridley Scott. That's that's he, he's more of a vast canvas kind of guy. So. Yeah, we were really, I don't know what made the stars align that had him say, yeah, I want to do that this year. I want to do a comedy and I want to do a, a, a sort of a wicked little uh, morality play or whatever, however he looked at it. But it, it's, you know, it's an unusual kind of curveball for him. Yeah. So if I want to write something for him, I got to, I, I feel like I kind of got to have a. It's got to be something. Yeah. Out of gotta the be something. Yeah. I, yeah. it's, it always, it still irks me that he's made, you know, movies in outer space and in Morocco and Japan and, uh, you know, south of France. And then we comes to us and we're with him in the San Fernando Valley. He's very, well, you could have gone to space too bad. Yeah. I'll teach you to set a movie here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so then full circle, you end up teaching at UCLA. So yeah, I ta I've taught I taught there I do teach there sometimes you know once or twice a year. I was it was supposed to be just sort of a one uh, one quarter thing that they asked me to do and and um, then I guess somebody something they needed somebody in the subsequent quarter and I did it again and so now I've just kind of become. Turns out you're good at it and people like you. Regular dependable guy. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I think I do a pretty good job and and I've. You know, yeah. I've gotten better at it and I don't show up drunk and, and <laughs> anymore uh, and anymore. Yeah. Or not, or not so you could, <laughs> yeah. Or not so you could tell. And yeah, I, I really, I really enjoy it. And I, um, it helps me to sort of center myself and, re, you know, re, remember the stuff, the easy stuff mm -hmm. or the, or, or the stuff that really comes to me with a greater facility now that didn't when I was first starting out. Mm -hmm. and um, to learn, to keep kind of relearning that patience yeah. with my students. But then every once in a while to see somebody kind of, when you've, you're talking through a particular problem, and they'll suddenly leap forward see to, the the light bulb. To, yeah. to the next good idea, and they'll understand why X is better than Y. Yes. And you'll see, them, you'll see it kind of happen. And that's really exciting yeah um, I, I same thing I love yeah. teaching for the same reason to just and I think part of it started because after UCLA we were both my husband and I were both like there are things we don't know like why don't why didn't we learn this and we should share this knowledge and we started doing the same as you and then we're just like oh this is fun it helps me in my own process remember these things these like important points of screenwriting and my writing's better for it. And now I get to see the light bulb moments for them. And it's, I love that. Yeah. It, 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 that's precisely it. And, and really I've been just, even in the course of the, the, the last year, as bizarre as it's been having taught a couple of classes on zoom, I, I've, I've been kind of finding my, how I approach things. It's evolving in a certain yeah. way. And largely I think it's evolving because of the conversations that I've had with students awesome. or I, or because they've been pushing me because I haven't explained something well, I have to find a new way mm -hmm. to say it. And, yes. um, or I'll look at something that I haven't, that I haven't seen in a while and it looks different to me now. And I, yeah. and I just get a, I don't think you can keep playing the same game. You know, they yeah. talk about athletes having to, or particularly pitchers having to reinvent their game every couple of years because the opposition gets used to it. And I think that, Creative people are the same way that if you you are you need to kind of re you know examine what it is you've been doing and see if there are grooves that you've fallen into and see if your you know your arm is falling into the into just into the same pattern that it and what sure. you can what you, you can do. keep challenging yourself yeah yeah well I, I love that my uh, my students make me a better writer too like hopefully as I'm making them better writers because it does it makes me question 
stuff. And, and I've, I've been able to unlock old scripts that I could never quite crack. And it's like, oh, now I can see it because I've been explaining it to you guys. So now I can, you know, go back and do it. And, and, and full disclosure, Nick has taught for PageCraft as well. So I did. I did do a, yeah, I've done a yeah, seminar. You did our Malibu seminar. Yeah. Our weekend class. That was super fun. That's right. What advice do you have for taking notes? If you're in a meeting with a studio exec or, or producer or anybody and they're giving notes and or what are some crazy notes meetings you've had? Um, I have, well, th th nothing too crazy. I've, I've been in notes meetings where it was pretty clear that the, 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 uh, the other party um, hadn't read the draft. Oh, amazing. Uh, so that's, uh, so that was, that's good. And then you, you just, all right, fine. That's what can I do? I'm not going to call you out. Uh, that's when you start talking about, you know, I know you love the part with the space monkeys then. Right. And right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That part was there, great. Was, there was, uh, there's there, well, there are two stories about it. There is one story in William Goldman's book where he said he had a meeting with Steve McQueen about a script he'd written. And Steve McQueen said, yeah, but I think what this real, what we really need, we need a campfire scene in this Western, you know, where the guys sit around and talk about their past. And Goldman said, well, we've, we've, we've got that in there. Yeah. And McQueen said, yeah, but you know, I mean, a, I mean, a campfire scene. Uh, and so, okay. um, and then there's the, then there's a, the story about the goodwill hunting where the, the, the boys put in a, a very, very inappropriate scene in the middle of the script to see if anybody was actually reading it. And lo and behold, of all people, Harvey Weinstein was the guy that said, <laughs> take that out. You guys aren't that clever. So amazing. Um, oh, but dear. I would say it depends on what phase of things you're at. But I've gotten, I've had just really kind of lame and pointless notes in some meetings. Mm -hmm. I've gotten extremely useful ones. So I'm not about to just bag on that whole uh, strata of, of people because they've actually helped at times. Yeah. Well, um, and there's always the, the note behind the note. Like it might be a stupid note, but they were bumping on it for a reason. So you can still get so something. So you may, you may, I think it's like in, you know, in uh, the, the, the rules of improvisational comedy. You yes, know, and. It's, it's the it's yes and so you you I think it, it's it's easier just to sort of let the current take all those other ideas right by yes than to beat them back you know yeah. it's just a meeting you're not talking about the script you're talking about the sort of abstract idea of the script mm. so given the, the particular situation when you go in there they're really looking to you for help. I mean, they mm. really want you to have the answers and maybe you do and maybe you don't. But I, I always kind of just, uh, unless something is, is just really an air ball, just take it in. Take it in. I'll try it. You know, try it. I'll see if I can make it work. Not, yeah. And then you, and I then said you that can, several times in my meeting today. Maybe you can I'll find see if a I way. I can make it work. Maybe you can find a way to give them what they want in a way that they didn't anticipate yeah. going. Uh, I, ju I just think that uh, to be defensive is tiring for yes. everybody. Yeah. And it, it's, kills, uh, and it kills momentum. And, and getting yep. something going is so much of it is about momentum. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think that's what I, I take it as my job is to sit, to sit not, my job is not to argue any of your points. My job is to sit here and listen to you, let it just kind of flow past, and then you know, ask some questions and reinforce when something is like, oh, this is great. Let's talk about this. And then I'll make it work. Right. Right. I've, I've said some, I've said some dumb things in, in creative meetings about my own stuff. You know, <laughs> I've had bad ideas. So if I'm, if I'm going to allow myself the freedom to, to do that, then I have to, I have to allow others that same, that yes. same freedom. Ava asks, once you made Matchstick Men in, the, in, the, in that genre, did people, did you find that people only looked to you to write in that genre, even in like doctoring or, or did, um, that, did it not pigeonhole you or did you feel like? I don't think it, no, I don't. I think the next few things that I worked on rewrite wise had nothing to do with, um, with that. I think, I think if you asked my brother that, 
he might have a different response hmm. because he'd gone from doing Ocean's Eleven to doing Matchstick Men. So there is certainly a familiar thing there. So I think to a, an extent, he may he, that may have been true for him. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he went on and he had a credit on Tower Heist. So, oh. but no, I didn't, I, I worked on things following that that were not really particularly similar to, the, the, I, was, I was not inundated with, with, with con ideas. Okay. I can think of a couple, but, but I did, that I didn't do, but. Uh, yeah, that, that always strikes me so strange as a writer. I don't know if this is normal, but I feel like I can write so many different genres. It doesn't, it's like, you don't only write horror. You don't only write comedy, like. I me, mean, I don't know. Is that yeah. weird? Although there are some people that do, uh, that that are that really that have, find themselves in, like our friend, yeah. you know, Scott Kozar, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he horror is his. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, you can certainly have something you have an affinity for, and and if yeah. that's your jam, go for it. I enjoy jumping around, and you know. Yeah, but at a certain point, you could almost say, and this is getting sort of very above the neck, but you know, yes, there are genres, but. Uh, it's all a story. Does oh, the story oh, work or not? Story. And you know, if if it scares you, then it's a then it's a suspense movie yes. or a horror movie. If you laugh, then it's a, then it's a comedy. Yeah. Um, I didn't see Matchstick Men as a comedy in particular when I wrote it. I really didn't. Um, wow. Uh, that's just how Ridley looked at it. He just, I I see it as very witty. So. Uh, I just yeah I just didn't he just he brought out. I mean, I can only imagine what would have what would a Bob Zemeckis version of that script yeah. look like. It would oh, that's be that's really interesting. Um, every everybody makes a movie, and it it all, it all comes out. It's that's the weird kind of cool thing about it is that it's, the alchemy. It's a, it's a yes. The the chemistry is always unique because it's always a even by fractions, it's a different group of people, yeah. and at a different place in their lives. Yeah, and you don't you don't you never know. know you know. Well, Malik asks, what do you think about writing competitions? Is that a good venue, in your opinion, if you're winning awards? Yeah, I don't know how much good it does you, but I think it's a great... Uh, when I was uh, much, much younger, I think I entered the, the nickel. Is that still around? Yes, it is. One of my clients just won it. Oh, better than that's better than I did. I mean, much better than I did. Congratulations. That, um, uh, to I'm both proud on her behalf. <laughs> yeah, to both of you. That's great. I don't know how much good it does you in the outside world. I don't. I, I mm -hmm. mean, obviously, I think if you if you if you get on the blacklist, things like that, that may really, yeah, that that, that may really get your that get can your, that can launch. You can get your name yeah, in front can, of people. It really can. Um, as far as entering other competitions, I think it's very healthy just to get your to to get in the habit of having your work out there, mm -hmm. having other people read it, having other people like it or not like it. Or not or understand it. Or not care. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. And so that the, 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 the closing the circle, so to speak, of um, I have an idea, I execute it, um, I finish it, which is key part for me. Yeah. Most of us, I think, is to, is to, to finish it, the critical point, and then to have it go out and do something. And I think competitions are a, are a really good place for that to see what comes back. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And yeah, I would say I would add on to that just to say it's great muscle building just to enter festivals, just so you get used to it and competitions. And the I for me, the ones I want to focus on are the ones that will get my name in front of agents, managers. You know, it's like the prize money ones, sure, that'd be nice, but I'm more interested yeah. in... I, I, I mean, I would assume I don't know too much about it, but I would assume that there is a there's a whole layer of very very small competitions in tons, in yeah. far off places, and that there is a whole sort of uh, subculture of people who are who write their scripts and submit them to these smaller places, and that's kind of that's where the where the comfort level is for them. Yeah. Um, so if you're talking about if if you really are looking at I, I want the big brass ring someday, whatever mm -hmm. that is for you. You can spend yeah. all your time out in the provinces, but eventually you're going to have to <laughs> you're going to have to come to Rome and uh, yes, and, and fight in the Colosseum. Yes, I don't know. Uh, that's the first time that one came to me. So, 
That's it was great. I was going to go with yeah. something about crossing the Rubicon, but we'll just leave it there. It's, yeah, <laughs> any any of that ancient history, that's great. Sarah asks, how do you feel your story might be different if you were not an LA native? As in, like, how much do you feel the connections you made here growing up and your family, obviously, play into your career? I think it's interesting that... that it's that's cool what, that you got to watch your grandma's movies. I think it's cool that I got to watch my grandma. I think she was in a movie with Spencer Tracy. Oh, you know? that's cool. You know, that's, and then to watch a, then to watch a movie that your grandmother is in, that your grandfather directed, and you can kind of go, oh my God, this is 1934. This is before my mother is born. This is the movie they're meeting on. Oh. He's, he's, I can picture him standing just to the right of the camera. And this is, you know, it's, it's, it's very trippy, but I don't think that it has a whole lot to do with who I am as a writer. Yeah. Cause like, I know Sarah's not from here. So it's like anyone the point is, any any writer from anywhere can make it here. It's about I the would, quality of your work. And I would love to be not from here. I would love to be anywhere. But you know, if you're if you want to write movies, this is where you have to come. Yeah. And if you you're already come here, here, it's kind of not that interesting. So um, I'm always a little envious of people that come from all kinds of other places. Elsewhere. I'm, I'm very envious of my students when they're from you know China and Syria and. Uh, and all kinds of places that I think, well, this. Yeah, that's, there's you some, know, you have a different perspective on life. I'd like to hear about I, it. Yeah, when I was in film school, it was just me and seven guys named Jason. So it's really. <laughs> uh, that's it, about right. But I do think you have to come here. I have, I've, I have clients all over and they, and students from all over. And, you know, they do sometimes go, do I have to move to LA? And it's like, well, you kind of do. But now with COVID, like, I don't. I would like everything's virtual anyway. So maybe you don't now or people are just starting to realize you don't necessarily have to take meetings in person. It could change. Just tell them you're from here. Just tell yeah. them you're here. Yeah. Tell them you're here. They're not going to know. Just tell them you're here. They're not going to come out and look. They're, yeah, They're going to be like, why is the Matterhorn behind you? You can't possibly be here. What's happening? Right. So I, I don't know that it matters, but, I, but I, think, I, I think it's going to matter less and less where you where, are, but wherever yeah. you are now, my advice is stay there. <laughs> yes, true. Yeah. I believe we are the hotspot on the planet right now. So yeah. we're number one. Yeah. Ava asked, do you think do you think comedy is the most difficult genre to grade or judge or even sell because it is so subjective? It's certainly the success or failure is certainly the most clear because it's either it's funny or it's not. I mean, I the my admiration goes out, I think, more than anything to in some ways to comedies because yeah. particularly the ones where you say, how did they think that was funny when they were writing it? How did they think that that Cringe. was funny when they were shooting it? And then how did they manage to cut it in such a way that it's actually funny? And I've watched it now 10 or 12 times and it continues to be funny. That's a, that's really mm. a, a miraculous. I feel like uh, comedy is that magical alchemy that it's harder to point at. Whereas like you can look at me like, yeah, that's objectively scarier. I feel the tension in the suspense thing. Got it. Yeah. And it's, and it's tough because it's so much about the moment. Mm -hmm. Timing. And, I mean, there, I, there were, when we were on, actually on Matchstick and on Terriers, there were things that I found watching on set that I thought were hysterical. And by the time they got to the, into the, they got into the cut, they were not, they were not, there was nothing special about it. Uh, other, other things were. So it's, you know, it, it just, I think comedy really points up just how, A, what a miracle it is when it really works. Yes. Because so many things have to go right. And yeah. B, the degree of, in as much as, as writers, we are really trying to come from a truthful place and a deep place. I think deep is a better word than, than, than true. We are trying to get to the heart of something. And yet, and yet when we've got the script... So much of it is really a contrivance. Craft is, is the, the noun of crafty. You know, it's a bit of a trick. And, and art is just the beginning of the word artifice. So right. I can't remember who it was. It was some painter who said art is getting at the truth through dishonest means or something like that. Oh, I love that. But I, I, think, but I think in comedy, it's, to me, it's just the most mysterious because... I agree. It's the trickiest. And if you think it's funny, you should write it because somebody out there thinks the way you think like yeah. that's you know people are like oh well should I bother to write this and like if you think it's interesting or funny or scary whatever if it's if it's gotten your attention 
someone else is going to think it's interesting or funny or scary too. So yeah. And the only other thing that I would say that might help is that send this out to my students all the time is, is knowing the difference between funny and clever. Ah, um, yes. What, what clever is about is establishing that you and your audience are hip to the same things that you understand the references that you're in on the joke. Mm-hmm. And so in that, in that way, clever, being clever is about flattering your audience by saying, see, I'm saying this funny, I'm saying this funny thing and you're smart. You understand what I'm talking about because you've read that or you know about that. Funny arises out of some deep um, uh, awareness that we have about our own behavior. The human condition. frailty and, and something that we recognize in ourselves. And it's, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a judgment about which is better. But no, I but that's a really good distinction to make. And there are great, great artists who've made their whole careers on mostly clever sure. stuff. But, but, it's, but it's, I think it's helpful to kind of know, not as you're writing, don't be in your head saying, is this clever? Is this funny? Where, you know, because <laughs> then you're, that's bad. But just to sort yeah. of know what the, where it's coming. I have from. an idea of where, yeah. My, and my favorite is the, uh, what comedy is, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Uh, yeah, wasn't that from a Woody Allen movie? Could be. I, I think. Um, speaking of somebody who is mostly clever, I mean, Woody Allen, the movie, <laughs> from, I mean, wonder, some wonderful movies there, but a lot of it is, you know, set up joke, set up joke, joke, joke. Yes. Up, you know, it's, it's about, you know, it's about being clever. Well, Malik asks, in terms of pitches, mm-hmm. how do you feel about having a pitch team of a few using the personas and energy of your team instead of just you yourself? Or is it frowned upon to just, to try to do more of a stagey thing or just you go by yourself and do it? Like, what do you think? I, I don't know. It, it, I've never done it that way. I've, I've usually been in the room with my brother. Um, and uh, so I don't think I've, I've never been on the flip side and had to watch somebody pitching something. So I don't, I don't know that I would discourage you from, discourage you f- from doing that or prefer one over the other. I think when you get into a room, you have to re- remember why you're there. You are trying to communicate your idea. And even that, the word idea, I don't particularly like because that's a very neck up word. You're trying to come as much from your gut as you possibly can about what is this what is this thing that you've got? What is this notion? What's the problem of the story? Who is, who is your person? Where are they in time and space? And what's the thing that suddenly happens in their, in their lives that knocks them onto a new course and creates Mm -hmm. a problem, which absolutely has to be resolved. Now, having three or four people act something out might be the way to do that. Yeah. And it, it helps to know, I think, when you're going into a room so that you're not completely lost. I'm going into this meeting with an agenda. I need to communicate A, B, and C to these people I yeah. need so that they understand this. And once I've done that, then the rest is, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to have the answer to every question. I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be omniscient about this entire thing, but I need to be able to hammer home these two or three things. Once that's done, they can ask me anything, and then I'm then I'm then I'll leave. And I'm not going to be stuck in there forever. And what's the best way that I can make sure they've got those those core things? I mean, to answer to answer Malik's question, I think, you know, yeah, if you wrote something with other people, I think it, you know, and you feel you you have good relationships with those people, which you may or may not after finishing a, a script. I think it, you know, power in numbers, you probably will have a better pitch if, you know, because you can jump in with things and you'll be stressed in the moment. You'll forget to say something and your buddy will remember to say this one piece or the thing about the character that was really uh, engaging is this. And, you know, we're tackling this important social issue and whatever it is, you know, you can all jump in with other points of view and thoughts. And and if you guys have good energy together, they would probably like that. The only thing I would say, Malik, though, is that uh, a couple things. One is that is that more can go wrong That's the true. more people you've got in yeah. this thing. The second thing is that decisions tend to get made in small meetings. They don't tend to get mm. made in large meetings. Interesting. So 
if, if it's just you and a, and, and a partner or a couple of you, that tends to focus their energies, I think, on um, as opposed to having seven people where well, yeah, who's gonna... in charge, who, you know, because ultimately if you've got seven of you in the room, one or two of you are really going to count. The other five are just are, window dressing or, or yeah. Yeah. I think the, the best pitch I ever did was, was with a partner and we had practiced and practiced beforehand and said, you know, I'm going to make this point and I, you know, and you're going to make that point, not like in a stagey way, but just like, because we, I, this was my function on the project and this was her function on the project. So it was natural for us to talk about, like, I am going to talk about the story points and I'm going to talk about character development and she's going to talk about, you know, how that could feed into this production aspect. And so it was really natural, but we did practice it first. And then we went in and we killed it. Like the, the executive we were pitching was like, we thought the meeting was over and she's like, wait, no, come back. I want to talk to you more about this. Cause I'm really curious about it. Like she was so curious. And I was like, that was amazing. That was the best possible outcome. She was so curious. She wouldn't let us leave. <laughs> so not to be too stagey, but I, I would say practice, rehearse, know what you want to say. Sarah asks, if you ever teach at UCLA Extension? She's no, teaching. I never, I never have. Um, I th I've taught a, um, a, a summer workshop there. Um, yeah. So that's what I wanted to ask you before. Did they approach you about teaching for them? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what yeah. I keep waiting for. Like, Hey guys, it's teaching it's, a bunch of people over here. Yeah. What do you think? I'm an alum. It's a little embarrassing. It's a little embarrassing. Like I need to get the credit. Oh, they one sale. Me, they gave me a chair, uh, not an actual chair, but they gave, they uh -huh. made me sort of the chair for the year. Part of that was teaching a, 434, which is sort of, sure. the, which is the big eight unit graduate class, which is what I did. I was very nervous about it. I did a, you know, a lot of, I remember the first night I had a cup of tea uh, on the table and I could barely, I mean, I, I, <laughs> it sat there the whole night because my hand was You're like, it's I just, shaking too much. I never taught and I just, and um, so they asked me, the, the class was, was part of the sort of the whole thing. And then they asked me again, and I just said, yeah, it's a yeah, one day a week. Now that you, you got your class plan down, that's what I figure. I figure if I, can, if I can sell something or get something high enough profile of, you know, with my name on it as written by, they'll be like, that's when the call will come. <laughs> what would you tell your 13-year-old self about what was going to happen, what was coming, and what, you know, what you wish you'd known at 13? Oh, God. Uh, let's see. Man, we're def there's definitely going to be a question after this one because I'm not going to end it on this. Uh, <laughs> I think I would have tell told myself to be a lot clearer about what it was I really wanted to do mm. because once you do that, then you just have to figure out a way to do it. But if you're kind of all over the place about, about, about what you want to do, then it, things don't really crystallize. And it took a long time mm -hmm. for them to crystallize for me. Um, and I think if I had done that, then a lot of the opportunities that I had earlier in my life, uh, I would have taken advantage of, and I probably mm -hmm. would have uh, been produced a lot sooner and um, had a lot more work under my belt at an early age um, and gotten used to some of the things. So I, I, I think yeah, I would have worked harder, but it's not a problem of work. It's just a, it's a problem of being very, very clear about what you want to do so yeah. that you can get, then go out and do it. I have a good friend who's a musician and he said, and th that was sort of part of the, what he was talking to me about once. And he said, I, when I started out, I said, I said, you know, I want to be in a band that's as big as the, as the Velvet Underground. And he said, and he said, and he said, and that's what happened. <laughs> there you know, go setting which, intentions which is not not didn't didn't sell a lot of records but everybody you know <laughs> everybody that, that bought the record started their own band so it, <laughs> it sort of, i thought that was sort of the joke you know that's hilarious yeah so jacqueline asked if you can give a few more tips on pitching and do you have a certain technique to keep your project momentum the main thing about pitches is uh, I, I think you just need to take a deep breath before you go in and know what, is the, what it is that you want to say. Know what the three or four important points are that you want to make about it. Your enthusiasm about your project will, if it doesn't come into the room with you, it, it's not going to wander in on its own. Right. So, and they want to love you, right? Like they don't, yeah. they don't want you to come in and suck. They want you to come in and give them their next big thing. So yeah, yeah. So you can kind of, you, you know, you could, if you can look at it from their point of view, who knows how many of these things they've 
had today or this week. In fact, they probably really don't want to be there. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's kind of like casting. Um, they want you to come in and be the person that they need yeah. and solve their problems. You, you kind of have to fool yourself into thinking they're on your side. You've got to believe in that idea and you've got to know that it's as absolutely as good as you can possibly make it. And that then you have to kind of do something which is not in a, really in, a, in the writerly nature, which is to vocalize it. I spent a couple of years in acting class, which I thought was enormously helpful for me as a writer. But yes. the, toward the very end of it, I worked for a week with a, with a very, very celebrated acting teacher. And what she said to me was, when you have something to say, send it. Don't just kind of let, don't, don't just kind of kick it out there and, and let it fall halfway between you and whomever you're sending it to. Mm. When you've got something to say, launch. And I think that will at least keep people in the room engaged. And if yeah. they are engaged, when, once you have left the room, they will be, not be saying, oh, thank God I'm exhausted. Thank uh, God that's that, over. That took forever. They yeah. will say, well, I was, I was with somebody like, who was present telling me something for that period of time. Yeah. And you don't get to make up whether they like your picture or yeah. not, whether they like your story. But no. come out of it, you going, that's not for us, but she was. Yeah, they'll remember you. Yeah. I, I do. I try to go in with the, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be the, the best point of your day. I'm going to solve your, I'm going to solve your problem today because I'm going to be the thing that you then can go to your boss and be like, guess what I just heard about. Yeah, right. But you, but as I said, that's some of that's out of your control. Of course, of course. So, so, or all of it's out of control. What is it in your control is your own passion and your own clarity um, about what it is you're pitching. And yes, you can then you can communicate it in a way that is absolutely clear to anybody. And if you've done that, that's your job. In yeah. terms of keeping your project momentum, if you mean project momentum in, while you're writing, God, yes, I think you have to treat it like a job. I don't want. I, I try not to get too metaphysical about about writing, but there is like one of the few things that you can dependably do when you where you are in. There are things you control and things you can't, but if you continue to come to the table and do your work, I believe that there is sort of a a momentum that will just present itself to you, whether you call it inspiration. I think it was Picasso said, the inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. Oh, I love that. You know, you really, if you show up every day, you don't really get to decide whether what you write is any good or not. You, all you have to, all you get to do is to show up and, and work. Um, same as an athlete. They don't really get to decide whether they have a good game or not. Yeah. They, pre they prepare and they are in shape and they know the plan. And then they go out and let their body do what it's going to do. So let yourself off the hook. If, if, and don't make the task to write well. That's too hard. Yeah. And that'll kill your momentum quicker than anything. But I don't know if you've ever been whitewater rafting, but if you ever do, I, I used oh to do it. And Where is this going? I can't wait. Yeah, if you, if you, when I would do it, you can, there were periods of, in the river where you would jump off the, the raft and just let the current take you. You would lie on your back and put your Do feet out floating. in front of you and sure. try not to hit any rocks. And the current takes you. And there's this, you can kind of guide yourself, but there is this tremendous feeling of power that you have surging underneath you that is pushing you forward. And that's kind of the image that I have about it is you, you have to jump out of the boat and get into the current and start writing and have faith that there is a, there is something that bigger than you that is going to take you further downstream. Yeah. But, I love that. It's not going to send you an invitation. I find for me, I find it really helpful to have a to-do list after I've done a draft. Oh, like, like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, but then I'll do like, okay, today I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at the secondary character and all of their dialogue and I'll just do that. And that'll keep me on task. And then I get to check that off. And then I'm like, okay, today I'm going to look at the scenes between these two characters and make sure they are threaded through and spaced in a good way. Today I'm making sure every scene has a really strong transition into the next scene. So it's like sometimes, you know, it's like if I have a sort of that kind of to-do list, then yeah. it's not like, I'm not trying to do all of it at once. I'm doing each little chunk and it can help me keep my momentum. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's uh, very true. Otherwise you may come into the, in the morning saying, okay, I need to solve all my problems. 
and change my life and become a yeah. better writer. Yeah. I'll just, I can never do that. I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. And then I have to go shopping. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Break it, it down into bite-sized pieces. Make it specific. Make it about tasks and what you can do that day. Yeah. That's yeah. very good. Nick, thank you so much for that's being here. That's all there here. is to it. Yeah. That's simple. Who can't it's do not this? not that hard. Yeah. God. How hard can it be? How hard can it be? I mean, my God. Thank you all so much for, for showing up. I appreciate it. It's nice to, it's nice to talk with writers. Next time on Hearthside Salons. In 1999, Suzanne Lyons launched her production company, Snowfall Films. Since then, she's produced features with names like Naomi Watts, Christopher Rockin, and Winona Ryder. She's won BAFTAs, gotten major festival love, and distributed through biggies like Screen Gems and Lionsgate. She decided to codify what she knew into a course and a book, and has been helping indie filmmakers build their skills for years. We'll talk about the art and craft and business of low-budget filmmaking. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.